Part Two, Chapter Eight of O Pioneers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. O Pioneers, by Willa Cather, Part Two, Neighboring Fields, Chapter Eight. On the evening of the day of Alexandra's call at the Shabbatas, a heavy rain set in. Frank sat up until a late hour reading the Sunday newspapers. One of the Goulds was getting a divorce, and Frank took it as a personal affront. In printing the story of the young man's marital troubles, the knowing editor gave a sufficiently colored account of his career, stating the amount of his income and the manner in which he was supposed to spend it. Frank read English slowly, and the more he read about this divorce case, the angrier he grew. At last he threw down the paper with a snort. He turned to his farmhand, who was reading the other half of the paper. By God, if I have that young feller in the hayfield once, I show him something. Listen here what he'd do with his money. And Frank began the catalogue of the young man's reputed extravagances. Marie sighed. She thought it hard that the Goulds, for whom she had nothing but good will, should make her so much trouble. She hated to see the Sunday newspapers come into the house. Frank was always reading about the doings of rich people and feeling outraged. He had an inexhaustible stock of stories about their crimes and follies, how they bribed the courts and shot down their butlers with impunity whenever they chose. Frank and Lou Bergson had very similar ideas. And they were two of the political agitators of the county. The next morning broke clear and brilliant, but Frank said the ground was too wet to plough, so he took the cart and drove over to Saint Agnes to spend the day at Moses Marcel's saloon. After he was gone, Marie went out to the back porch to begin her butter making. A brisk wind had come up and was driving puffy white clouds across the sky. The orchard was sparkling and rippling in the sun. Marie stood looking toward it wistfully, her hand on the lid of the churn, when she heard a sharp ring in the air, the merry sound of the whetstone on the scythe. That invitation decided her. She ran into the house, put on a short skirt and a pair of her husband's boots, caught up a tin pail, and started for the orchard. Emil had already begun work and was mowing vigorously. When he saw her coming, he stopped and wiped his brow. His yellow canvas leggings and khaki trousers were splashed to the knees. Don't let me disturb you, Emil. I'm going to pick cherries. Isn't everything beautiful after the rain? Oh, but I'm glad to get this place mowed. When I heard it raining in the night, I thought maybe you would come and do it for me today. The wind wakened me. Didn't it blow dreadfully? Just smell the wild roses. They are always so spicy after a rain. We never had so many of them in here before. I suppose it's the wet season. Will you have to cut them too? If I cut the grass, I will, Emil said teasingly. What's the matter with you? What makes you so flighty? Am I flighty? I suppose that's the wet season too, then. It's exciting to see everything growing so fast, and to get the grass cut. Please leave the roses till last, if you must cut them. Oh, I don't mean all of them. I mean that low place down by my tree, where there are so many. Aren't you splashed? Look at the spider webs all over the grass. Good bye. I'll call you if I see a snake. She tripped away, and Emil stood looking after her. 
In a few moments he heard the cherries dropping smartly into the pail, and he began to swing his scythe with that long, even stroke that few American boys ever learn. Marie picked cherries and sang softly to herself, stripping one glittering branch after another, shivering when she caught a shower of raindrops on her neck and hair, and Emil mowed his way slowly down toward the cherry-trees. That summer the rains had been so many and opportune that it was almost more than Shabata and his man could do to keep up with the corn. The orchard was a neglected wilderness. All sorts of weeds and herbs and flowers had grown up there, splotches of wild larkspur, pale green and white spikes of hoarhound, plantations of wild cotton, tangles of foxtail and wild wheat. South of the apricot trees, cornering on the wheat-field, was Frank's alfalfa where myriads of white and yellow butterflies were always fluttering above the purple blossoms. When Emil reached the lower corner by the hedge, Marie was sitting under her white mulberry-tree, the pailful of cherries beside her, looking off at the gentle, tireless swelling of the wheat. "'Emil,' she said suddenly, he was mowing quietly under the tree so as not to disturb her, "'what religion did the Swedes have, away back, before they were Christians?' Emil paused and straightened his back. "'I don't know. About like the Germans, wasn't it?' Marie went on as if she had not heard him. "'The Bohemians, you know, were tree-worshippers before the missionaries came. Father says the people in the mountains still do queer things, sometimes. They believe that trees bring good or bad luck.' Emil looked superior. "'Do they? Well, which are the lucky trees? I'd like to know.' "'I don't know all of them.' but I know lindens are. The old people in the mountains plant lindens to purify the forest, and to do away with the spells that come from the old trees they say have lasted from heathen times. I'm a good Catholic, but I think I could get along with caring for trees, if I hadn't anything else. That's a poor saying, said Emil, stooping over to wipe his hands in the wet grass. Why is it? If I feel that way, I feel that way. I like trees because they seem more resigned to the way they have to live than other things do. I feel as if this tree knows everything I ever think of when I sit here. When I come back to it, I never have to remind it of anything. I begin just where I left off. Emil had nothing to say to this. He reached up among the branches and began to pick the sweet, insipid fruit. Long, ivory-colored berries, tipped with faint pink like white coral, that fall to the ground unheeded all summer through. He dropped a handful into her lap. "'Do you like Mr. Lindstrom?' Marie asked suddenly. "'Yes, don't you?' "'Oh, ever so much. Only he seems kind of staid and school-teachery. But, of course, he is older than Frank, even. I'm sure I don't want to live to be more than thirty, do you? Do you think Alexandra likes him very much?' "'I suppose so. They were old friends.' "'Oh, Emil, you know what I mean,' Marie tossed her head impatiently. "'Does she really care about him? When she used to tell me about him, I always wondered whether she wasn't a little in love with him.' "'Who? Alexandra?' Emil laughed and thrust his hands into his trousers' pockets. "'Alexandra's never been in love, you crazy!' He laughed again. "'She wouldn't know how to go about it. The idea!' Marie shrugged her shoulders. "'Oh, you don't know Alexandra as well as you think you do. "'If you had any eyes, you would see that she is very fond of him. "'It would serve you all right if she walked off with Carl. 
I like him because he appreciates her more than you do. Emil frowned. What are you talking about, Marie? Alexandra's all right. She and I have always been good friends. What more do you want? I like to talk to Carl about New York and what a fellow can do there. Oh, Emil, surely you are not thinking of going off there? Why not? I must go somewhere, mustn't I? The young man took up his scythe and leaned on it. Would you rather I went off in the sandhills and lived like Ivar? Marie's face fell under his brooding gaze. She looked down at his wet leggings. I'm sure Alexandra hopes you will stay on here, she murmured. Then Alexandra will be disappointed, the young man said roughly. What do I want to hang around here for? Alexandra can run the farm all right without me. I don't want to stand around and look on. I want to be doing something on my own account. That's so, Marie sighed. There are so many, many things you can do. Almost anything you choose. And there are so many, many things I can't do, Emil echoed her tone sarcastically. Sometimes I don't want to do anything at all, and sometimes I want to pull the four corners of the divide together. He threw out his arm and brought it back with a jerk. So, like a tablecloth, I get tired of seeing men and horses going up and down, up and down. Marie looked up at his defiant figure, and her face clouded. I wish you weren't so restless, and didn't get so worked up over things, she said sadly. Thank you, he returned shortly. She sighed despondently. Everything I say makes you cross, don't it? And you never used to be cross to me. Emil took a step nearer, and stood frowning down at her bent head. He stood in an attitude of self-defense, his feet well apart, his hands clenched and drawn up at his sides, so that the cords stood out on his bare arms. "'I can't play with you like a little boy any more,' he said slowly. "'That's what you miss, Marie. You'll have to get some other little boy to play with.' He stopped and took a deep breath. Then he went on in a low tone, so intense that it was almost threatening. Sometimes you seem to understand perfectly, and then sometimes you pretend you don't. You don't help things any by pretending. It's then that I want to pull the corners of the divide together. If you won't understand, you know, I could make you. Marie clasped her hands and started up from her seat. She had grown very pale, and her eyes were shining with excitement and distress. But, Emil, if I understand, then all our good times are over. We can never do nice things together any more. We shall have to behave like Mr. Lindstrom. And anyhow, there's nothing to understand. She struck the ground with her little foot, fiercely. That won't last. It will go away, and things will be just as they used to. I wish you were a Catholic. The Church helps people. Indeed it does. I pray for you. But that's not the same as if you prayed yourself. She spoke rapidly and pleadingly, looking entreatingly into his face. Emil stood defiant, gazing down at her. "'I can't pray to have the things I want,' he said slowly. "'And I won't pray not to have them, not if I'm damned for it.' Marie turned away, wringing her hands. "'Oh, Emil, you won't try. Then all our good times are over.' "'Yes, over. I never expect to have any more.' Emil gripped the handholds of his scythe and began to mow. Marie took up her cherries and went slowly toward the house, crying bitterly. 
End of chapter 8 of part 2